Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Advanced polls are open in Ontario. June 2nd is Election Day in Canada's largest province. Canadians outside of Ontario could be forgiven for not being aware that there's an election underway in Ontario. As our next guest argues, though, for even voters in Ontario, this election is staying below the radar. It's been a pretty quiet and low-key election in as far as elections go. Maybe that bodes well for Doug Ford and his Ontario PC party looking to be re-elected with another majority. Uh, The polls uh, so far do indicate that the PCs are are headed to a victory, uh, but there is still time for that to change. So why has this been such a low-key election? What are the stakes here for the leaders, though, the leaders of the three main parties in Ontario? Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts on the campaign and uh, how it's unfolded so far, certainly a veteran himself of some Ontario election campaigns, uh, Andrew Tumulty is a senior consultant for strategic and uh, communication and issues management with Enterprise Canada based in Toronto. As an interesting piece on this, you can read it at the uh, Substack newsletter, The Line, theline.substack.com. Andrew, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. I mean, you know, we'll talk about Ontario's election here, obviously, but some political drama in Ontario. Isn't it fascinating that we got a situation where it looks as though uh, Jason Kenney's not going to to even make it to the next election. And here we have Doug Ford uh, poised for re-election. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if we could all go back to uh, 2019 for a moment and, and you were to tell me that, you know, Jason Kenney and Doug Ford uh, in a few years, one of them wouldn't finish out his first term and the other would be comfortably leading in the polls in an election. I don't know that too many people would have uh, would have picked Jason to be the one that, uh, that didn't finish. Well, and obviously there's a whole other story about how Jason Kenney got to that point. But let's talk about how Doug Ford got to this point, right? And, uh, you know, I think people outside of Ontario, uh, you know, and then going back to, to the past, had an idea, maybe, a, a repu- you know, there was a reputation that preceded Doug Ford. But why is he in a position here, do you think, that, uh, you know, re-election, another majority government seems you know, not just possible, but maybe likely. Well, I think uh, I think there's quite a few factors that come into place. I mean, historically, uh, in Ontario, most governments um, are are reelected, right? right? Everybody everybody sort of does get at least one extra kick at the can. Um, I think there's probably an understanding um, that the last <clears throat> two years were were a specific challenge. Um, and while I think there's a lot of disagreements to be had about how the Ontario government um, handled aspects of the pandemic. Um, I think overall in the general public, you know, people are, are ready to move on. So if this election had been, say, six months to a year, year ago, his pandemic record might have been um, a bigger challenge facing him. Um, but the fact is that it isn't. And I think there's a general sentiment where people are ready to move forward. I think the other advantage he, that he does have working for him um, is that Andrea Horvath uh, has been the NDP leader since 2009, uh, since before there was Netflix in Canada, just as a, a bit of a um, context for your listeners. Um, and in that time, you know, she's, she's lost three elections. Uh, this is her fourth year. Um, so the opposition there isn't as strong as it could be. And um, at the same time, Stephen Del Duca is, is relatively new. He, he won the Liberal leadership sort of at the outset of the pandemic, which, which presented a great challenge uh, for him and his team in, in terms of introducing him to the voters. You know, the other contrast with Alberta, obviously, see Jason Kenney with a lot of infighting, a lot of party dissent. And Doug Ford's had those issues. There's been some MPPs he's had to deal with. But on the whole, it seems like the Ontario PC party is more or less united behind Doug Ford. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I think that's a fair assessment now. 
Um, when you talk about the infighting, I think what, what's really particularly interesting for me going into the campaign when I look at some of the numbers is that Ford was elected in uh, 2018 with a fairly comfortable majority of, of 76 MPPs. Um, over the course of his term, um, <clears throat> they had people resign from politics altogether. They had people that were dismissed from the caucus out of, out of ideological differences uh, or people who quit caucus, caucus. So that by the time the election rolled out, uh, he was down to 67 um, MPPs from the original 76. And, and of those, several are not running. Um, so he, he actually goes into the election with only 56 incumbent MPPs in his caucus, which mm-hmm. is less than what you need for a majority. Um, so I, I don't think the divisions have been quite as stark as, as what we've seen in Alberta, uh, but there certainly have been some. And it's one of the more interesting numbers uh, as we head into this campaign that may, that may play a bigger role. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting in, in that sense, too. I mean, uh, and, and you look at the lay of the land, and we'll talk a bit about why this has been a quiet campaign, but uh, who Doug Ford is up against. I mean, Andrea Horath, as you mentioned, you know, and, and there was a time in the last election where it seemed that maybe she was going to emerge as, as the prime minister, but the NDP fell off. I don't know that they've been as much of a factor. The liberals have a long history of, of governing the province of Ontario. But what is it about Stephen Del Duca that's maybe, I don't know, not connecting? Uh, I think a lot of it is, is an awareness issue. You know, to be fair, everybody in the last two years has, has had more on their their minds um, than than politics, yeah. <clears throat> and and we, we've seen that. You know, it's, it's difficult to go out. Typically, after a leader's elected to a party, you know, there's there's a, a tour effort that's made, lots of local stops to introduce him to the voters at that level, um, and he hasn't had that opportunity. And I, I, I think we're probably seeing some of the impact as well of the fact that he doesn't have a seat uh, in the legislature currently, right? So he didn't have that opportunity to shine there either. But what I think will be interesting to find out is, because I think in the, in the leaders' debate this week, people got a good introduction to him. We saw trending that showed him as a, a top Google search uh, among the leaders by quite a wide margin while the debate was going on. Um, but I think what will be interesting to see is if that actually kind of works to his advantage, right? Both Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath are quite well-known commodities to Ontario voters. Um, so having someone that they're not entirely familiar with yet and have a chance to get to know might actually turn out to be an advantage for him. But would you say the stakes are lower for Stephen Del Duca? Like which of the two is better positioned to survive a PC majority here? Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I would think the stakes uh, out of all three leaders really are, are quite lower in a sense uh, for Del Duca. Um, looking at the polling, looking at the trend, uh, I, I think it's a relatively... Um, safe assumption that the Liberals are going to go from seven seats to you know triple that, maybe even mm-hmm. maybe even more uh, in one election. And, and right off the bat, that's that's a bit of a win for him. It's, it's not out of the question that he goes from a party that doesn't have official standing to being leader of the opposition. Um, so I think the, that in that sense, you know, he, he's coming into this uh, with the easiest road to what would be considered a successful campaign. Whether or not it's a winning campaign is different. But in terms of what defines success for each party, I think he's got the easiest road. Horvath, you, you have to assume that this is going to be her last shot at things. Um, they're polling in third place. Uh, in areas where they're usually typically stronger, they're not just in third place, but they're down in the low 20s in Toronto and in the surrounding uh, suburbs. So it's not looking good for her right now. And, and I think a win is the only thing that saves her job. Uh, and even Ford, um, you know, he's looking good. He has a comfortable lead and it's, it's going pretty well for him so far. But he is down a few points uh, from where he was in the popular vote when they won a majority. 
both parties have, have made it sort of clear that they wouldn't support a Ford minority government. Right. You know, if polling continues to tick down just a few points, he could be looking at a minority rather than a majority. Um, and then that becomes a challenge for him. You know, you wrote about this uh, this week for the uh, newsletter, The Line, and, you know, you made the argument that, look, uh, a quiet campaign is probably good news for the incumbent in this sense, uh, you know, Doug Ford and, and the PC. So let's talk a bit about, you know, why it seems so quiet and I guess what the opposition parties can do to kind of raise the, the volume, raise the temperature. Well, I think it, it, it's tough to say. It's always it's always tricky to get it out into the the public mindset if you're if you're somebody like me that that, that lives and agrees with this every day right. and not everybody pays as much attention um so you know people people are busy people are coming out of what's been a very trying uh two years for people in this province and indeed across the country um and and may not have the appetite for for paying attention um to politics on on the scale that you might expect um there's a lot of competing news coverage uh, for what's going on in the world, you know, uh, including the ongoing issues that are happening with the pandemic. So it, it's not entirely shocking that, um, that this hasn't sort of re- registered on the, the public's radar. But, you know, there are, there are still a little over two weeks to go. So that's, that's something that can change. Um, we like to say that a week is an eternity in politics. And there's, there's two weeks left in this campaign. So I suppose we'll have to see. Right. And I mean, but does that suggest that voters are, are happy? Voters are content? I mean, it's it's very interesting economic times where maybe on the surface, you know, unemployment's low, the, the GDP growth is strong, but inflation's running hot. You know, we've seen some rough days on the stock market. There seems like there's a lot of maybe economic unease, but that doesn't seem to be translating into, uh, you know, discontent in the Ontario electorate yet. Yeah, you're not you're not seeing. I, I think the two sort of connect at at this point. Um, I, you know, I, I I think it is right. You, you do see if something's defined as a change election, which 2018 in, in Ontario clearly was, or 2015 was in, in the federal sense. You do tend to see a higher profile, higher engagement, higher involvement um, from the public, and and we haven't sort of seen that sort of impact so far. Uh, whether or not again that changes in the, in the next couple of weeks will will be interesting, um, but. You know, it, that's that's the when you think about the voters is they get to decide what's important to them. And I think one of the other considerations is that when we've seen um, polling on individual issues, you know, affordability, to your point, and, and cost of living is something that comes up pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And that may be what's working against, you know, people being engaged uh, in the election as a whole, right? If I'm, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, I, I don't have a lot of time necessarily to worry about speeches and polls and, and punditry and that kind of thing. You know, my focus is on the price of gas or, or, or the price of bread. And I've certainly seen, I mean, anecdotally, social media and elsewhere, progressives in Ontario, you know, frustrated that, you know, the PCs could potentially be re- reelected here, frustrated that the other parties can't get their act together. You know, obviously, the NDP and the Liberals, you know, have their own long history in Ontario. The Liberals governed for a long time in, in a more or less three-party system. So I don't know if any kind of talk of uniting the left is ever going to happen in Ontario. Maybe progressive voters wait to see who who emerges as maybe the most likely you know, party the challenge of the PCs. Maybe we see a big shift from the NDP to the Liberals as we get closer to election day. But what do you see down the road in terms of those kinds of conversations? Maybe cooperation in a minority government situation. Maybe something else that that sort of shifts the the dynamic in Ontario. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I, I certainly think that at, at some point, if you're looking at a minority situation, that there, there, there could be some um, understanding or cooperation between the parties. Uh, anything more than formal than that, though, I think is a bit of a long shot. You know, Andrea Horvath has spent as much of this campaign attacking Stephen Del Duca as she has 
um, Doug Ford, and that, that would be a problem to say the least. Um, but even beyond that, when you look at Ontario sort of in a regional sense, you know, there are several ridings um, across the province where it's a, it's a two-way race, but it's not between the Liberals or Conservatives or the Liberals and the NDP. It, it is between the, the PCs and the NDP. When I think about Southwestern Ontario, some of the ridings up north. Um, so there are regional strengths to each party that I think would probably preclude any kind of uh, formal arrangement from, from coming through. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.